Thank you, Lord, for that song. <laughs> Jesus is enough. There's no turning back. I am encouraged to preach this morning because uh, I was feeling really stressed about this message earlier, a few minutes ago, actually. And when we sang that song, God just gave me relief. <laughs> so, uh, you know, this summer we've been talking about encounters with Jesus, and we've gone through quite a few. We, we uh, noticed that Jesus befriended and welcomed this immoral woman at the well. And, uh, you know, she became the first evangelist that, that the world has ever seen. The very first one. <laughs> and it's because she responded to Christ and she got her whole town to come out and see Jesus. Pretty impressive. Uh, and then we've seen Jesus befriend and welcome a traitor to his country, a tax collector. And Jesus turns him into a disciple and then into an apostle. I mean, it's just incredible what Jesus can do. And then last week we talked about Jesus uh, welcoming the children. Like Jesus isn't like, oh, I only need people that can, you know, serve me right now. No, he's, he's looking for children for, and he blesses them and says, of such are the kingdom of heaven. Um, and so today we're going to go look into a little deeper with an encounter that Joshua uh, introduced us to last week, kind of in contrast with the children, about the rich young ruler encountering Jesus, the rich young ruler. And so, if you grab your Bibles, we've already read it, but turn to Matthew, or I'm sorry, Mark chapter 10, and it starts in verse 17. Let's pray and ask God to guide us. Father, we just dedicate this time to you. We, we pray, Lord, that your word will go forth in power. And Lord, this story has impacted my life. And I'm humbled by this story and challenged. And thank you for your, your affirmation of me this week and, and this morning. Lord, I just thank you that you, the great God of the universe, would stoop down and reach out to a Samaritan woman, reach out to a tax collector, reach out to children, reach out to self-righteous rich people. Oh Lord, we pray that you would apply this message to our lives. May we hear your voice, for we ask this in Jesus' name, amen. So uh, I heard about this uh, shoemaking company that wanted to expand. And, and just after apartheid ended in South Africa, they sent their top salesman to, to South Africa to sell shoes there. And he got to Africa and he started, you know, looking around and he noticed that all the people in all the townships that he went to, they didn't wear shoes. <laughs> and so he telegrams back to head office. Uh, nobody here wears sho shoes. There's no market for shoes. Uh, please send me return tickets ASAP. Well, the company wasn't swayed by their top salesman's report. Oops, almost fell off the stage. Uh, and, and, and so they send out their bottom tier salesman, the guy who has no experience whatsoever, but he's young and he's enthusiastic. And so they say, well, let's try this guy. And they send him to South Africa and he gets there and he looks and he sees the same problem. Nobody's wearing shoes. So he, write, he telegrams back, you know, nobody here wears shoes. 
uh, the market is wide open. Please send me as many shoes as you got. <laughs> so you can see that sometimes, you know, enthusiasm carries the day and moves things forward. And uh, I don't know, probably today there's a lot of people in South Africa wearing shoes. Uh, I don't know. I never, never figured that one out. Um, but why do I tell you this story? Because one of the things about the rich young ruler that people simply gloss over, they just never, never crosses their attention, is how enthusiastic this guy is. He is completely enthusiastic about Jesus. I mean, this is not normal for a rich dude. He, he, you know, um, uh, we don't find out that he, he, we know he's rich, but we find out from Luke that he's actually aristocratic. He, he's a ruler. And we, we fry, find out from Matthew that he's young. And can you imagine this guy? He's running to Jesus and he falls down on his knees in front of Jesus. How many people do that? I mean, this guy's excited. And what does he say? He says, good teacher. What must I do to receive eternal life? I mean, he knows who Jesus is. He knows he's a good teacher. He knows that he's someone special. So he singles him out, runs over there, falls on his knees, and says, what must I do? He's asking the right question, don't you think? That's probably the most important question that we possibly can face. How do I get salvation? How do I get eternal life? Um... I like this guy. I really do. He just, he, he reminds me of myself when I was young, passionate. You know, you know, sometimes when we give an altar call, there's, every once in a while I see this, somebody runs to the front and falls on their knees before Jesus. I love it when I see that. And that's what this guy reminds me of. Just someone so hungry for God, so hungry for the truth, knows Jesus must have the answers, and he goes charging after him. And so I think we've, we've entitled this encounter all wrong. We call it the rich young ruler encounters Jesus. I think there's a much better thing. I think it's the Ever Beaver encounters Jesus, right? That's who he is. He's just eager. I get. A, I mean, I get a lot out of one verse, but I, I can't go get around it. This guy is just eager, and uh, he, he seems to me like a prime candidate to be a Christian. He he knows Jesus has the answers. He knows he's good. He knows he. he He's humbled himself, dramatically humble and, and passionate. I just think, wow, move over, Peter. We got a candidate for your job. <laughs> you know? um, and how quick we are to judge this guy as unworthy of the kingdom, right? I mean, haven't you thought it before? Oh, that guy. Yeah, he wanted the world's riches instead of eternal riches, that guy. <laughs> and we are so quick to judge him. And yet, man, I feel like that guy a bit sometimes. How could he forfeit the treasures of heaven for the fleeting treasures of earth? Treasures susceptible to moths, decay, vermin, thievery. But before we get all smug and self-righteous, I want to, if Jesus was here today and asked you, well, I'll sell your car, sell your house, Sell everything you own and, and just come follow me. Become an itinerant preacher like I am. 
You know, you don't know where your next meal is coming from. You don't know who's going to accept you into, into their house. You don't know anything, you know, just no money. Don't take any money along. Just, okay? How would you respond? <laughs> yeah, that's not an easy question. So let's not get smug about this guy, <laughs> okay? Um, I have a great affinity with this guy. And if you don't, I think you're missing the point of the whole story. And I want to share that with you. So first thing I want to point out is something rather obvious that never seems to get addressed in this story. Uh, it's the question he asks, this young rich guy. He asks, what should I do to inherit eternal life? Well, virtually everybody in this room knows the answer to that question, don't we? What, what must he do to, etern- to inherit eternal life? What? Accept Christ as Lord and Savior, but believe in Jesus, right? Yeah, we all know the answer to this question. At least 95 or 99% of us know that he's got to believe in Jesus Christ and ask him to be his savior. And so why doesn't Jesus say that? Why doesn't Jesus share the gospel with this guy? Well, the good news is that I'm going to die for your sins and you can have eternal life by believing in me. Why, Why doesn't Jesus say that? I mean, just get right out there and say that, you know? I mean, he told other people when the Jews asked him, the work of God is this, to believe in the one he sent. He made it pretty clear that you had to believe in Jesus, the one he sent. Um, And I mean, the jailer, remember the jailer, when he came before Paul and Silas fell on his knees, and what did he say? What must I do to be saved? Same question, basically. And what did they say? They said, well, they're pretty quick to reply. Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your family. It's just right out there. Paul makes it clear. If you declare with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. The message of salvation is very simple, very straightforward. Yet Jesus doesn't say it. Why not? You ever ask that question? Why, why doesn't he just go straight to the punchline? Uh, instead, Jesus gets into this discussion with this guy about goodness. Jesus says to him, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. Now, some would look at this and say, what, what are you saying, Jesus? Are you saying you're not God? Like, you're not good? Like, what? What? <laughs> why does Jesus do this? And I'm going to get to why Jesus said these exact words about and, and his deity in just a second. But I, the, the main reason Jesus poses this question to this guy is that he realizes, and the re- reason he doesn't go straight to the gospel is he realizes this guy, like every guy and every woman in the entire world, needs a heart transplant. He needs his heart transplanted. His heart cannot do the things that Christ is going to call him to do. It's just impossible. Humans aren't designed that way. We cannot follow the high commands and the high callings of Christ 
without a heart transplant. And if there's no heart transplant, it's not going to happen. It just won't happen. You see, with the Samaritan woman, she already knew that she was immoral. She already knew that. And, you know, with the tax collectors, they surely knew that they were, were doing the wrong thing, that they were, you know, evil, despicable, really. But this guy didn't know that. In fact, this guy thought he was pretty good. Yeah, and he was rich. You know, in Jewish culture, if you were rich, and if you read through the Old Testament, the riches poured out on Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, those were all signs of blessings of God. And so in Jesus' day, when someone was rich, people went, oh, God is blessing him. He's rich. Uh, And we have a lot of preachers teaching that today, don't we? This idea that riches equals good with God. Well, and before we go on to to talk about the deity of Christ in this statement, I want to just point out one further thing. If you go to uh, Matthew's gospel in chapter 19, in verse 16, it says this. Just then a man came up to Jesus and asked, Teacher, what good thing must I do to inherit eternal life? Now, I notice that this is different than the other two Gospels, Mark and Luke. Mark and Luke have the good referring to teacher. Good teacher, what must I do? Here, the good is referring to a thing to get eternal life. And so, if you believe that all of the Scriptures is inspired and true, he must have said both of those things. And so... We get this, if you, if, you, if you take the pieces from both sides of this, you get this. Good teacher, what good thing must I do to inherit eternal life? You see how he's using the word good? And he's, equa- he's putting Jesus into the equation. And then Jesus picks up on this very thing. And he starts saying, you know, your understanding of good is a little bit skewed. There's only one who is good, that's God. And you are trying to, what must I do? What good thing do I do to become like Jesus, right? So it's all about him. He wants to be like Jesus, the good teacher, and he knows that he has to do something similar to Jesus about being good. So what good thing do I have to do? And so Jesus is like, whoa, 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 let's separate those two things just for a minute. God alone is good. Now, Jesus isn't denying his divinity here. In fact, if you figure it out, I mean, Jesus, other places, what what does he call himself? He calls himself the good shepherd. So if Jesus was saying he's not divinity, then he's really contradicting himself. Basically, Jesus is saying God is good. Jesus also said, I am good. Therefore, Jesus is God, right? That's, that's what this is actually saying. So don't let people confuse you in thinking that Jesus is denying his divinity here. No, he's just driving home a point to this guy. He's saying, this guy brings up the subject of goodness, just like the Samaritan woman with water. Jesus uses that subject matter and starts sharing the gospel with him. And he says, you know, no one's good except God. And he's pointing out half part of the gospel there, that the goodness that a Christian experience has to come from God. It can't come from within inside this guy because Jesus is going to point out in just a minute that what's inside isn't so healthy, isn't nearly as healthy as this guy 
thinks he is, you know? Uh, and so, <clears throat> the fundamental lesson here is that goodness flows not from man's deeds, but rather from God himself. Thus, Jesus' questions to, ma- to the man is designed not to deny his deity, but rather to draw the man to recognize Christ's divine identity. <clears throat> Mark basically is slowly building up the true identity of Christ. Uh, in the beginning, he talks about the need for repentance. Then in this, this instance, he's, he's hinting that Jesus is divine. Mark gets to the end of his gospel in chapter 14, and Caiaphas, the priest, says to him, Tell us, are you the Christ, the Son of the living God? And what does Jesus say? I am. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> it's pretty clear by then exactly who he is, right? Uh, and so Jesus asked him, why do you call me good? No one is good. Oh, so, so this verse, verse 18, next slide. Why do you call me good? Oh, some of it's disappeared. Oh, sorry. <laughs> no one is good except God alone. It has to be read in context of the next piece. You know the commands. You shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not give false testimony, you shall not defraud, honor your father and mother. You see, the the contest Jesus is making, that God is good, Jesus is good, and this man's concept of goodness is to obey the law. So Jesus just plays along. And the man, he, he grabs a hold of the bait, hook, line, and sinker. I mean, he just goes for it. He says, teacher, I've kept all these I've kept since I was a boy. I think that's hilarious. Jesus left out a few of the Ten Commandments. He, he gives five of the Ten Commandments here. Okay, and, and w- which five are they? They're the last half of the Ten Commandments, okay? What are the first four commandments all about? God. Yeah, they're all about God and about our love and devotion for God alone, not having uh, graven images, not having anything else in the place of God, right? Jesus didn't mention those. And what's the last commandment that Jesus didn't mention? No, that's the greatest or the second greatest command. What's the last of the Ten Commandments? Number 10. Come on, somebody should know this. (laughs) I'm going to have to preach on the Ten Commandments again. Last commandment. Thank you. Somebody knows it. (laughs) Thou shalt not covet. (laughs) Very interesting that Jesus left that one out. (laughs) And so when the man said, all of these I have obeyed, Jesus knew he was going to say that. So Jesus makes it light on him. And leaves out all the ones that he knows he's, he's not doing, <laughs> right? <laughs> and so he says, oh, I've obeyed all those, you know. He's... And yet, this man has covetousness in his heart. And he has placed something above God in his heart. And Jesus knows this. But Jesus is fishing here. And he wants him to take the bait, and he does. And he says, oh, I've obeyed all that. He's self-righteous in himself. He, he believes he's a good guy. And I think he was a good guy. I'm sure he was a good guy. Uh, I don't think I could have said, I've obeyed all those since I was a boy. Could you? <laughs> uh, 
I, I couldn't. <clears throat> and Jesus looks at him, and it says he loved him. I don't want you to miss that. Jesus loves this guy. He loves his passion. He loves his inquisitiveness. He loves his desire for truth. He loves everything about him. He loves the fact that he's born, uh, that he, he's in the image of God. He loves him, absolutely. And so don't ever think that Jesus is making it hard on this guy. Jesus loves him, and he wants him to get a heart transplant, and he knows he needs it. And that's his only desire. That's why he brings up this whole subject. One thing you lack, he says, go sell everything you have, give it to the poor, and you will have treasures in heaven. Then come follow me. <laughs> we all know the end of the story. The man goes away sad uh, because he had great wealth. But don't ever miss that Jesus loved this guy. And I think sometimes when Jesus calls us to do very difficult things, some people who've gone overseas, if you've heard some of the stories of the missionaries going overseas where there's no medical care, losing their children to, to tropical diseases, losing their spouses to tropical diseases, using, losing their spouses to, to the arrows and darts of, of cannibals, and then going back there and saying, I love you in Jesus' name. I'm just like, how could Jesus call these people to do this? Does he not love them? <laughs> oh, Jesus loves them. Jesus loves those missionaries. They're doing his will. And he's passionate about those missionaries. But it's in those trials, in those difficulties, that his will is being brought about powerfully over and over again he loves them so what about this rich guy i mean we know that riches is, is is like a ticket to things right i mean uh, education health care travel leisure uh, they're all mechanisms that are oiled by cash right and so it's pretty hard for us to wrap our heads around this whole story because we're kind of dependent upon this cash thing. And we're like, wow. But here in this passage, there's one door that it doesn't open. And that's the door to eternal life. It doesn't open that door. In fact, it's very clear that Jesus says, actually, it's stacked up in front of, the cash is stacked up in front of that door so you can't even get to the door. It's a barrier to the door it's a problem uh and you know sometimes people think well this this is a story for rich people you know the way is barred just as much for poor people as for rich people nobody can get into the kingdom of god the way is barred the poor people have one advantage they don't have this huge stumbling block before the door uh just the rich people have that so when it came to his interest in eternal life, wealth wasn't as helpful to that. It's actually a barrier. He had to repent of the idol in his life, the false god in his life, which was riches. Salvation is not a human achievement. This man thought it was. What good thing must I do to 
inherit eternal life. He assumed that he had to earn it. And Jesus is very clear. It's not a human achievement. And Jesus doesn't lower his, his, uh, his demands, his requirements for entrance into the kingdom of God for this guy. I mean, Jesus loves him, but he still has a high, high hold uh, requirement. If eternal life was found in just being interested in eternal life, believing in Jesus, coming to Jesus enthusiastically, humbling yourself, falling on your knees before Jesus, acknowledging who Jesus is, and being an all-around good guy, then this, this story would have ended with a very happy young man. But Jesus is not interested in that kind of salvation. Jesus isn't preoccupied with helping people feel good. He's preoccupied with heart transplants. Notice this guy doesn't go away defiant. He doesn't go away angry. He goes away sad. He knows it's true. He knows what Jesus said is true. He knows that his riches have a hold of him, not him a hold of his riches. He knows it. So he knows there's a problem. And he's been told the solution to the problem. I don't know. Um, you know, David, just the other day, he went to the hospital. He's in extreme pain. He's told, oh, your appendix have ruptured. We need to get that thing out of you. Oh, but I don't, I don't want to be cut up. And I don't. What if he had, you know, said, no, I don't want to go through surgery. What if I don't? I don't want that. Well, he might be dead by today, right? So he went through, praise God, he went through the surgery, and praise God, he's okay, and praise God. He, but you know what? Sometimes we are so afraid of the solution that we don't want to go through it. There's lots of people who have cancer who say, I don't want to go through chemo. I don't want to go through all this treatment because it'll make me sick and I'll lose all my hair. And I'm just going to, you know, I'm going to go on health foods and see how I do. And... Uh, for a lot of those people, they end up dying because they're not happy with the cure. They're struggling with it. And you know what? Jesus sometimes, and, and so when you're evangelizing, when you're going out, you're not just trying to go for this easy route. Oh, just accept Jesus and everything will be fine. You go to heaven. No, Jesus wants a heart transplant. We need to let people know that there's a problem in their life and it has to be dealt with. And Jesus does it with this guy. Uh, Jesus, he, he went away. This guy goes away sad because he was uncovered. The, his real idol in his life was uncovered. Um, and I think it's interesting that I think Jesus was sad for this guy. Uh, in fact, in Luke, it, it says that the rest of the story happens only after when Jesus said, said this. I think we have it on the screen. Next slide. Yeah. This is the King James Version. It says, when Jesus saw that he was very sorrowful, when Jesus saw the reaction of the guy that he was so sad, that's when Jesus responded with another piece of the story. <clears throat> You know, we can easily see that this, this, this guy was foolish. You know, like Jesus told the story of the guy who tears down his barns and builds bigger, bigger barns and then 
then, well, that night his life is required of him. And Jesus, uh, and, and then there's, uh, uh, I love what Jim Elliott says. He's, he's the, the missionary that got killed by the Inca, I think it's the Inca Indians, and his wife went back after he was killed. Anyways, he said this before he left. He is no fool who gives what he cannot gain, keep, sorry, he who is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. He was talking about giving his life, giving his wealth for what he can't keep. He can't keep you can't keep any of that stuff. And this poor rich man didn't understand this concept. All you can keep is riches in heaven. And so he chose wrongly, I guess. And so Jesus responds. He looks around. He sees this sorrowful guy and he says how hard is it for the rich to enter the kingdom of god ah so hard and the and the response of the disciples is they were amazed wow this is it's completely blowing their minds they thought rich people had a good in with god that god was blessing them but jesus is blowing their minds they're amazed at his words but then jesus says he repeats it and he, he stresses it. And he says, children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. Now, he doesn't say how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God this time. He just says it's really tough to enter the kingdom of God for everybody. And then he says, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. And I forgot my props. I, I had a needle all set aside. And I had a stuffed animal. It wasn't a camel, but a stuffed animal. And I was going to get one of the kids here to try to stick the stuffed animal through the needle. And the kids would have said to me, uh, Pastor Bill, uh, come on, this is not possible. <laughs> this, this, this can't happen. You know, you can't stick a camel, even a stuffed camel, through the eye of the needle. Now, the funny thing is, is Jesus didn't just use any animal. He didn't say, it's harder to get a fly through the needle. It's harder to get a, a serpent through the needle. He used the biggest animal there was in Palestine, you know. If he was here in Canada, he'd say it's harder to get a moose through the eye of a needle. And if he was in Africa, he'd say it's harder to get a, uh, a, a uh, elephant through the eye of a needle. I mean, he was just using the extreme, the smallest hole he can imagine, and the largest animal. Now, some people have said, oh, they tried to be all fancy and, and, and say, oh, no, no this is, he's referring to a gate in Jerusalem that was called the eye of the needle, where camels had to squish down on their knees and crawl through on their needs and you had to unload the baggage and that's what he was talking about baloney okay if you've ever heard that before it's just not true okay uh i have all the research i don't have time to go into all the research there's many pages of research come and have a look at it it's just not true okay <laughs> it's it it uh, was devised, somebody thought it up in the 13th century, and it's been misleading people ever since. And, they, and people have called Little Gates Eye of the Needle, not in response to a particular gate in Jerusalem, but in response to the story uh, where camels have to, you know, just squeeze through. Uh, it's just not there, okay? <laughs> so if you've ever heard that before, just disregard it. Um, it's a humorous explanation. You ask anybody, it's just not possible. It's impossible to put a camel through the eye of a needle. He's exaggerating, of course. Um, but 
It's the truth. And, and when Jesus gets, gets to the end of this, um, he, he says, you know, the, to the disciples, it's harder for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples just went, oh, okay, well, that explains it. <laughs> no, that's not what they did. You know what that said? It says they were even more amazed. They're just like, this blows my mind. How can this be? They're just completely blown out of the water because Jesus repeats this so many times. And they're just like, I don't know. Now, you might think, well, what does this have to do with us, Pastor? We're not a rich congregation. We're not wealthy here. You know, I drive a 10-year-old car. My wife drives a 20-year-old car. Our living room furniture is kind of shoddy. Uh, And so some people would think that we're not rich. Oh, would you be wrong? You know, we went to Dominican Republic on our honeymoon and saw poor people. I've been to uh, Lebanon and to uh, Turkey, and I've been to uh, Egypt and to uh, Burkina Faso and to Malawi. I am so stinking rich. It is unbelievable. I am such a rich man. I, I can't even imagine. I'm talking about physical wealth. I am blown out of the water how rich I am. You just compare yourself with anyone else in the rest of the world, you are rich. We are all rich, totally. And so the disciples, do you think the disciples were rich? Mm, Not sure. But you know what they said? They're saying to each other, well, who can be saved? Who can be saved? I don't know how rich the disciples were. I'm pretty sure I'm richer than than they were. (laughs) You know, I'm pretty sure. And so it's a great question. Who can be saved? You know, this, this question is all throughout the scriptures. And, and you know, in, in Jeremiah, I love what Jeremiah does with this question. He says, can a leopard change its spots? So too can those who are used to doing evil not ever change to do good. That's what Jeremiah said. You know, ask any kid, can, can, a, can a leopard turn his spots into stripes, become like a zebra? Is that possible? No, it's not possible, right? And Jesus is saying the same thing here. Can a camel go through the eye of a needle? No, not possible. It's just not possible. And so the disciples are getting a little worried about their own uh, salvation, and I hope you are too. (laughs) Because that's what this story is all about. It's about our salvation. That's what this story, I mean, verse 22 ends up, it talks about the salvation. Verse 23 is about salvation. Verse 24, is, it talks about salvation. Uh, the beginning of the chapter, the question is, how can I be saved? This passage is all about salvation. So I hope you're saying, whoa, 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 where am I in this? What is Jesus saying here? <clears throat> the point Jesus is saying is, that just like a leopard can't change his spots, so we can't wake up one day and say, oh, I think I'm going to be a good Christian from now on. I'm just going to follow Jesus, you know, and do good. I'm going to, I'm going to you know, sell stuff, give it away. I'm going to be nice to people. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to. 
It doesn't work that way. The only way you can, what did Jesus say to the guy that met him in, in the dark of the night? Who says, oh, we know that you're a teacher from God because nobody can do miracles that you do. And Jesus says to him, well, you need to be born again. The guy's like, dude, what does that mean? <laughs> He's talking about the same thing. You need a heart transplant. You need to be born again. There needs to be God on the inside making you want to do the things that God calls you to do. If God calls, if you ask anybody, if you go out today and say, wow, that was a very interesting way of bringing the gospel to, to people. I'm going to do just what Jesus says. And I'm going to tell people, you need to sell everything you have and then become a Christian. How do you think that'll go over winning people to Christ? It might be a little rough. <laughs> might not work so well. And yet this is what Jesus does with this rich guy. That's his challenge. And I believe it's because he knows we need a heart transplant. And we, and a Christian should be able to do that. But non-Christians can't do that. It's impossible. In fact, the Bible says that you are deceitfully wicked, that the heart is deceitfully wicked above all else. And, and that we can't even begin to do what God wants us to do. It's just not possible. So, you know, every time I get excited about something in my life, God says, watch out, Bill, watch out. I remember the first time I souped up a, a hot rod car, and God says, watch out. And I gave it to God, and he took it away the next day, just destroyed it. <laughs> I've told the, the story before. Um, and you know the story I've told about having fun as the idol in my life, just always wanting to have fun. And, uh, and then my wife became the idol in my life. I just loved her, and I wanted her, you know, to give her everything I was. And then my kids became the idol in my life. They just became everything to me. And now I have a cottage, and it's a lot to me. And these things keep stacking up. And God keeps going, Bill, stop it. Take that off there. I need to be at the top all the time. And, you know, I don't think God is done with me. If I ever get grandkids, oh, that's going to be a problem. <laughs> It's going to be a problem. The heart is wicked. Who can know it? It's deceitful. It always wants to put something else on top. Not God. Not God out of the position. So the story goes on. I'm I'm just about done. We're going to finish up real quick. Um, Peter says... I can just feel Peter's heart. He's like, oh, 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 we've left everything. What is he saying? Are we saved? Are we in? He's like a little worried here. You know, like, we've left everything to follow you. And Jesus does, he says three things. You know, he says, you know, in this life, you're going to have more than enough. God is going to look after you. Now, the, the interesting thing is about Peter, he says he, we've left everything. But he just means left. He doesn't mean sold everything. Because when Jesus goes and heals his mother-in-law, it says he does so in Peter's house. And when Peter goes fishing after Jesus resurrected, whose boat does he use? 
ostentatiously, he's using his own boat. So Peter's like, yeah, we left everything. And I'm like, eh, okay. And Jesus says, you know, but there's also going to be persecutions. And um, and then the, the very, oh, and, and you'll have eternal life in the life to come. And the very last thing Jesus says, so watch out. The first will be last and the last will be first. And I can imagine the disciples just going like, yeah, that guy, that rich guy, he thought he was first, but he's last. And we, us poor poor fishermen, we're last, but we're going to be first. Can you imagine them thinking that? I, I think they might have. And some commentators think that that's the point. I don't think that's the point. I think Jesus is saying, watch out, you disciples, that you don't become complacent. You're first now in the kingdom. You're in. Watch out that you don't become last. And those others who aren't first now, they're last. The rich young ruler in in particular, he might have a change of heart. He might go home. Think about what Jesus said and realize that he needs to follow Christ and he could have a change of heart. And so this is like a warning. Watch out. And this is, this is why I find this, this, this story so challenging. It's just, it, it doesn't end. It's always that we need to have Christ on the top of the list. Always be ready and willing to sacrifice family friends, spouses, children, parents, homes, whatever, for the sake of the kingdom. That's a tough challenge. But when we have a real heart transplant, it's absolutely real. So on my way over here this morning, I was actually questioning my own salvation. I'm like, Lord, really? Like, this is a tough... Like, what are you asking me to do? Do I need to sell my cottage, my house, my car? Like, what... What do I do? And, you know, on the radio came this song. Blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine. And I just sang it at the top of my lungs. You know, I just was like, thank you, Lord. I know you're my Lord, and I know I'm saved. Um, But I want to take this message to heart, and I want to offer you everything I am. I want to offer you my family again, my cottage, my house, my cars, my everything. I offer it all to you. And if you want to take it, you know, that's fine with me. And, uh, and my insurance on my cottage has lapsed because of, there's some things that need doing. And I'm like, Lord, if you need to take it, just take it. You know? And um, that was a tough prayer to pray this morning. Um, But that's the truth. That's the reality. That's where we live as Christians. God first. Stuff second. People second. Uh, It's not that I don't love my wife. It's not that I don't love my kids, obviously. Uh, But that's the calling of Christ. So let's, let's just bow in a moment of silence. And Holy Spirit, come and move amongst us. Put your finger on that thing that keeps wanting to take the number one spot in all of these folks' lives. Open your heart to Christ. What is he putting his finger on? And I would challenge you right now to 
offer that to Christ. Give it to the Lord.